So hello, everyone. This is Otessa, and you are listening to Conversations with Hysterical Women. That's Women with an X, the Hysterical Women podcast, where you are all welcome here, friends, allies, everywhere across the rainbow, across the binary. I'm just really glad to have you be here. And this is meant to be a safe space to explore all of the weird things that life throws at us and all of the different ways in which we can be twisted and torn asunder, but also all the different ways that we can come back together. So thank you for listening, and I'm glad that you're here and going to be cheesy, but comment, like, subscribe. Yeah, exactly. And I still have fun. Like, when I say I'm frugal, it doesn't mean that I just sit in my house and do nothing all the time. You know, I still do nice things and travel and whatever, but I'm just smarter about it. I And it's finding, kind of like we talked about earlier, it can be finding joy in in the small things, too. I'm planning a little weekend in Toronto, um, right. which is for, you know, I can drive there. So just little things like that. I don't necessarily need to get on a plane and fly to Europe to have a good yeah. time. I can, you know, explore kind of my own neighborhood and, and have fun that way. That is actually something I love to do as well, because I'm originally from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in Columbia, but I'm from Baltimore. But for me personally, it seems, it might seem nerdy, but it blows my mind just discover new neighborhoods in a city I'm not used to. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, oh, man, I've never seen this part. Like, I remember um, everyone knows about the Inner Harbor. But when I went around the other side and discovered, I think it's called Lucas Point, I was like, oh, a totally different angle on the water. Pretty cool. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that I think finding the way and this is another thing that I find um, sort of problematic is the way that people talk about self-care. Mm-hmm. can be very, very luxurious. Yeah. And it can actually be something very simple. Yeah. It doesn't need to cost you money. It doesn't need to be a thing that yep. you purchase. Um, like being a tourist in your own city. Uh, they are, are like, you know, just things that are soothing. Um, yep. And I think that that's like the kind of actual self-care versus like hashtag self-care. Yeah. And like no shame to the people who are, you know, getting those paid sponsorships and getting those, you know, brand ambassadorships um, that are making a living. But it's just something that I try to keep in mind whenever I see a post, you know, like one more post with all those petals in the bathtub. (laughs) I'm like, I don't, I don't know who has time for it, but not me. (laughs) That seems stressful and expensive and just no thank you. Like just a shower will be fine. Like that will also feel very nice and won't require me to like buy this thing yep. and then deal with all these flowers in my bathtub. Like what the heck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But again, no, no shade on like the brand ambassadors because everyone's trying to make a living. Yeah. Um, I just try to remember it. Like whenever I see that, cause I'm like, am I doing it wrong? Like what is self care? <laughs> and I'm like, wait, self care can be ugly and it can be cheap and it can be any number of things. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Like for me right now, my self-care has been reading. I've kind of fallen off the book thing and I'm like, you know what? No, especially this winter, I'm going to commit at least giving myself 30 minutes a day to read a book that Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily business related. It can be if that's what interests me, but just doing that for me, you know, no, no strings attached. And yeah, it's ugly. I'm just laying on my couch with sweatpants on it's not instagrammable it's just sitting reading a book that's totally fine oh i wish that these things were instagrammable i know (laughs) (laughs) right they should be i would feel so much better if these things were if the algorithm liked these things right i think that uh yeah my my instagram experience would be like even more positive yep (laughs) 
Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, like for me to share for my birthday, and please, you know, just it, this might seem like so gross, but like for my birthday, my self care was literally laying in bed until 3 p.m. and not getting up until like after three to brush my teeth. Yeah. Like I may have gotten out of bed once to go to the potty, but I did not brush my teeth <laughs> until after 3 p.m. I did not get out of bed like <laughs> to do anything. Like and it felt all, it, it, it was not Instagrammable, but it sure enough, it felt wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You need that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and sometimes more than just sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> you need that a lot. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you about the, um, cause I think that, and just to clarify uh, with the previous question, um, about like transitioning and people who have worked in toxic environments, I think it's more for our listeners and some of the other people with whom we've spoken, mm-hmm. um, and not, not to throw shade on your former employers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more just about like, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. kind of like people that we're talking to. Yeah. And people who are listening. Um, but also something that I have found um, occasionally problematic is, so you think to yourself, okay, I'm leaving. Like, this is toxic. I'm leaving. I found this thing that I want to do. I, it's self-sustainable. I can do it myself. Like, plotted it out. Have a business plan. Um, I... Sometimes, I mean, it's like, if you get a bunch of people together who all kind of do the same thing in private, um, you know, you'll, you can talk about like perhaps clients that have been not so good for your well-being. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's something that I wasn't really prepared for. Cause in my mind I had this, like, you're at the end of the rainbow, like, mm-hmm. hooray. And then no, there's, there's still going to be some times when, uh, you might have a toxic client or you might be in a toxic situation and then you're on your own and there's no HR. Mm-hmm. And that can be pretty scary and difficult mm-hmm. to navigate, especially yeah. if you're feeling lonely as an entrepreneur as well. Yep. Um, and I think that in addition to all of that, like the difficulties of being a woman in the workplace do not go away when you become an entrepreneur. Right. Like you still have to face them uh, yep. being a woman of color. So, like none of these things go away. Right. Um, they all still are present. Maybe they're not as, maybe they're more microaggressions, but all of them still exist. Is there a way that you have found um, to protect yourself mm-hmm. in that kind of environment? Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think that having a community is really important. We've talked about that a couple of times. And and I think that this is one of those places where it is so important to be able to have somebody who you can trust. You can sometimes just get an objective opinion or get some advice from who's maybe been through a similar situation or even just someone to vent to. Honestly, sometimes you yeah. just need a vent, just like you need to vent about a boss or a you know company policy or whatever. Sometimes you just got to vent about a project. So having a community and a support group is really important. But I also think for me, it's been about vetting my clients. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you have to make sure that your clients are a good fit for you just as they're making sure that you're a good fit for their project. So, and, and that's one of those kind of, you live and you learn situations for me, I think, especially in the beginning, you're just kind of anxious to take any project and your standards are pretty low, if you will. But over time, you're going to start to kind of carve out your your niche and your ideal client and Mm -hmm. be able to determine if there's a fit 
And if there's not, I'm happy to refer them to somebody else who might be a better fit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm all about just having those kind of, I, I don't just take people's money and, you know, I, it's a conversation. It's, it's a developing a relationship before we start to work together because there has to be a fit. And it's even, even though oftentimes the projects might be shorter, you're not signing up to work with the client for ever, which you might be at a job at a day job, you're working so much closer typically, or at least I am, I'm communicating directly with the CEOs usually, or a VP of marketing or something like that on a regular basis. So it's just me. And <laughs> it's really a, a relationship. We have to have a good relationship if it's going to yeah. work. Yeah. So I think that, um, what you said about vetting your clients mm-hmm. is so important Seems a good match. because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people out there who are more than happy to take you on and still pay you like the, how many cents on the dollar, right? Like the same wage gap. And it's kind of like, no, I didn't get in here to accept the same wage gap. Yeah. Um, but when you're just starting, there's like, I think that's when it, uh, it can be the scariest. And I think everyone has like horror stories Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, you're like, you said, you, you just, you want clients and you know, yeah. you're, you're worried it's not going to work. And so you take people on who maybe aren't good fits. And yep. I'm trying to look back and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, if I had been more cautious in the beginning, would yeah. I have made it? Right. And that's a terrible thing to have to ask yourself. Yeah. Well, do you see, um, like what, what are some red flags? Would you guys say that you have like, that folks should watch out for in advance that might save you some headache? Man, <laughs> the questions that I've been asked. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, are, are you married? How old are you? Oh, um, like oh, those, are you married? Yep. Yeah, what? run the other way. What, what, race, what ethnicity are you? Run the what? other way. I've yeah. actually been asked those questions before. Um, yeah, those are pretty standard. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sad and I'm laughing, or but the, it's not funny. <laughs> oh, well, do you plan to have kids? Oh, yeah. Like, this is none of your business. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think those are a little more, I guess, I mean, the, unfortunately, they're kind of normal, but they're maybe a little more extreme. But I even think just the... Uh, you know, you can kind of tell when somebody values your work for me. That's one that I, I understand that negotiation is a part of business. So I'm not, you know, I don't think that somebody asking for a different price is necessarily they're a terrible person or they don't value my work. But when it's, you can tell when somebody is only looking for the cheapest price. Yeah. Like that. if that's mm-hmm. the first question that they're asking, mm-hmm. typically, you know, it's, it might not be a great fit for me because there, there are multiple factors that should go into your decision to hire someone, not just their rate. So mm-hmm. that's a big one for me that I get a lot. That is a good point. Yeah, because I don't don't come to me just because you want a cheap deal. I mean, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that people, you know, we all like to, you know, save money here and there. But yeah, there is definitely a lot of factors that go into whether you want to work with someone other than their um, rates. A photographer I follow, he has... Um, he has a saying that he's actually started putting on t-shirts and he's like, yeah, my bills aren't negotiable. Neither are my rates. I love it. Because I'm a freelancer. I also freelance. I'm a filmmaker. So I freelance on the side with filmmaking and photography. And I feel like people are always trying to like, you know, 
especially when you first start up, you always want to talk, you know, talk you down and, and bargain you out of your rate. But one thing I've learned as a freelancer and entrepreneur is you really have to know your worth and value and you have to stick with it because folks will lowball you. Oh yeah. If, if you let them and that's just, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something terrible. And I, and I wish that this weren't true and I hope that I can go back and redact it. <laughs> but I'm thinking back to when I like first started doing this, um, I had a pretty big client that was a return repeat client that uh, was categorically not healthy for myself and for others. Mm. Um, but, and I would love to be able to say like with 100% like assurance that no, I could have done without them and I would have made it. Um, but I'm not sure that's true because in, in a lot of ways, I was really lucky that like this could go on my resume and it meant that then I could go out and find other work that was less toxic. Um, but then I was just thinking to myself, I think that had I had better boundaries in the beginning with those, with that particular incident, um, and if they were basically taking advantage of young people, Mm -hmm. um, young women in particular, um, who had film MFAs right around 2008. Great time to have a terminal art degree. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, like I was just happy, you know, for anything. Right. And this was great. But, um, I think that if I had exercised better boundaries, I would have, we all would have probably gone through less pain points. And so I think that was, yeah, that's how I learned like super the hard way to like have a set number of rounds of notes and to put that into my contract. Mm. Um, Because otherwise like you could, you could be doing notes forever um, and like really sticking to the, yeah, sticking to that was like the biggest lesson I learned, like the number of rounds of notes because project was done, the notes were completed, like it was like they had tons of rounds of notes on this one thing um that was like the final job that I ever did for them and you know the deadline and they said oh there's a hard deadline hard deadline it's fine like we had given them tons of stuff well before the hard deadline the hard deadline came and went and it turned out it was a soft deadline and they kept coming back to us like basically harassing us for more notes and you know you're politely trying to say well it's done we're past the deadline and we fulfilled everything in the contract, but you know, it's like your biggest client, like your right. repeat client. And so you kind of let that slide. And then by the time, and then they ended up being so, so happy with the work and, and like that other, that other saying that, you know, I'm going to get this wrong, but how failure is an orphan and success had like, I don't know, everyone is like wants to claim success. Yeah. So success can actually be like, strangely more dangerous than failure so anyways it ended up being so successful that they wanted to do more stuff with it and that was when I finally had to for the first time do the thing that was so scary which was I would be delighted to do that um you know let's discuss the contract for that additional work right which was terrifying (laughs) say to write um it's still like kind of scary, but yeah. I've gotten more comfortable doing it. But I just wish I had said that like from the very first time we were over the deadline. Right. Because I think that um, it would have, it could have protected 
it could have acted as a protection or it would have been a major red flag. Right. Um, but yeah, that, and then that was, that was, uh, that was, um, yeah. So that was one thing that I think that I learned from that was uh, like, there's some like milestones and things like that that you can put into your contract that will protect you. Yes. I'm wondering if you have any other like things that you, painful lessons well-learned that you would encourage other people to think about? 